Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is our very first Q&A episode. Now, I said at the very beginning of this project that I wanted this crime podcast to be different. I didn't want you to just sit there, listen to me tell you a story, and we move on with our lives. I always wanted this to be an open dialogue where you can get involved. And, well, you certainly are doing that. Our closed private Facebook group, as I read this, has now grown to over 2,000 members who are constantly asking questions, starting conversations, and having some fun, healthy debates around the cases we discuss. I did, however, want to take this a step further. So I recently set up the one minute remaining voicemail, a number you can call and leave your thoughts, questions, and comments about the show, the cases, and anything else you'd like to discuss. So, if you'd like to be a part of these episodes, then just call the number, which is in the show notes below, and we will answer your question in an upcoming episode. So, we have a lot of voicemails to get through, uh, as well as some Facebook questions. So, let's get into it. Hello, this is a prepaid call from Karen. I'm from Etheite. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring recording. Oh, hi, Jack. I've got too many questions, so I'll probably get a warning that I've only got a minute remaining. Hey, um, I just was wondering how you started corresponding with the inmates and find out where they were and things like that, and um, whether Florida seemed to have easier access to inmates than anywhere else, and that's why quite a few of the inmates were from there. Also, I was wondering if you were waiting on anyone to get back to you to speak to, and... With the Anthony Duke cookbook, obviously they have different laws about profiting from crime. I was just wondering about that. Thank you. Bye. Oh, love the podcast. Bye. (laughs) Well, look, firstly, Karen from Adelaide, thank you very much indeed for number one, listening to the show, number two, leaving a voicemail uh, and saying that you enjoy the show. I really appreciate you listening. And for all those amazing questions, which we'll get through all of them. Okay, so let's let's kick off with question number one, which is one that I do get a lot um, and it's an obvious one. It's how did it start? Uh, the origins of the show and and why certain inmates and all the rest of it. So 
I will give you the one minute remaining background story. So a lot of you won't, you'll know, you won't know who the hell I am. Um, I spent 14 years working in the radio industry, um, working on a number of different shows um, around the country. I've, I've lived in Adelaide, funnily enough, beautiful part of the world. I spent a year there, um, Melbourne, Sydney, um, Queensland. So I've travelled a lot and I've spent a long time obviously in the radio industry. When I was working on a show in Melbourne, I was working on the drive show, uh, radio show for um, the Southern Cross Stereo Network. Um, so if you're in Melbourne, it's Fox, B105 in Brisbane, uh, Today FM in Sydney, so on and so on. Uh, and I was working on the National Drive show with a lovely comedian by the name of David Hughes, Dave Hughes, Hughesy, uh, and the beautiful Kate Langbrook. So it's Hughesy and Kate. Obviously, a lot of you will know the names Hamish and Andy. They just wrapped up their drive show on that uh, network and we were taking over. Um, so I was working on that show as what we call an anchor. So I ran the desk, turned their mics on, said, it's Hughesy and Kate for the drive home uh, and played sound effects and all that sort of stuff. But part of my job is also to... Um, look up stories and find content for the day's show. So one day I came across an article. It was about a big lottery win in Australia. Someone had won some phenomenal amount of money. And within that story, um, there was a another story about the lottery curse, this notion that people who'd won the lottery or won big in the lottery within 12 months had essentially lost everything, all their money, friends and family. And I'm like, this can't be true. Like the lottery is is something that everybody wants to win. It's the dream. Um, so I actually started investigating this lottery curse and I was planning on building a show. In fact, I spent four years building a show um, about the lottery curse. And part of those stories that I was looking into was, of course, the Doris Moore story and her story with Abraham Lee Shakespeare. If you haven't listened to that story yet, it's the very first one we cover. Um, so I found this story fascinating and the, the fact that Therese had always claimed her innocence. So I wrote her a letter. I literally put pen to paper. I found out where she was incarcerated, which was, of course, in Florida, um, and I wrote her a letter and I posted it off and I thought no more about it um, until I got her letter back. And that's basically how... That got started, that conversation between myself and Doreese. Um, but that again, that process, this, this one minute remaining show was still not even a, a thought in my mind. I didn't, wasn't sitting there thinking, oh my God, now I can interview inmates. It was purely great, I can get this story for the Lottery Podcast. And I started phone calls with Doreese around the start of COVID and Doreese was telling me her story and I'm still thinking about it in this lottery podcast form, going, this is an incredible story. Obviously, this is going to make a great few episodes for my lottery podcast. Um, but it was also highly confusing. If you've heard the story, it is, it's crazy and it's, you know, it jumps from pillar to post. And, and I'm sitting here listening to Doris tell me this story and I'm going, how am I going to make any sense of this for people listening? Um, hopefully I managed to. Um, but so one day she says to me, I'm working at getting back into court and I have a law clerk uh, helping me. Would you like to talk to them? Now, in this stage of my discussions with an inmate in prison, I had no idea that a law clerk was actually inside the facility. I thought this was someone who was on the outside from a law firm who was walking, working on the case. So I thought, fantastic, great, this person, you know, Doris has obviously been living and breathing this thing for so many years that she's, you know, she can get muddled and go off on tangents and whatnot. Let me talk to this 
legal person who can hopefully, you know, make some sense out of it and I can, can build it that way. So I said, okay, great, give me the number and I'll give them a call. And she says, oh, no, no, they're in prison with me. Of course, mind blown. I'm like, what, what on earth? What, what, what do you mean in prison with you? Um, and, they, and she said, would you like to talk to her? And I said, well, absolutely. And that was Kimberly Boone. Uh, my name is Kimberly Boone. I go by Kim. I have been incarcerated almost 14 years. I have 17 and a half left to go if I have to do my entire prison sentence. About six and a half years ago, I finally got into the law library. I've always been interested in helping others. I kind of got railroaded on my case. And when I got here, I realized that I wasn't the only one. Of course, she is the second story that we discuss in One Minute Remaining. And my first discussions with Kim, I just casually said, oh, you know, would you mind me asking what you're in prison for? And then she started telling me her story and my mind again just exploded. And I'm like, well, now I've got to hear your story. So that's fascinating. So are you in your current situation, um, are you also serving time for a, a crime that you didn't commit? Well, my case is a little different. I had a, a house fire. It was an accidental house fire. It was ruled accidental. Um, my husband at the time was the only one home. He had been a firefighter for 15 years. The state decided that they wanted to blame it on someone, you know, months and months later. And so so they charged me with arson and uh, first-degree premeditated attempted murder on my husband. And from that moment on, light bulb in my brain just went and went, you know what, Lottery Podcast is creating me headaches because I've been working on this thing for four years and I, feel st- I still feel no closer to getting this thing anywhere near ready to go out. So I basically just turfed four years of work um, and started talking to Kimberly Boone. And then the next time I spoke to Doris, I said, you know what? I've got a new idea, Doris. This is what I want to do. I want to talk to people who are incarcerated about their stories. Do you think you'll have anyone else um, that would talk to me? And she went, yeah, I'm sure I do. And, and that's how that was born within the Florida prison system, the female side of things. And it just snowballed from there with, with the, the ladies, of course, in there, one after the other with Amelia Carr, Doreese. So the reason, following on to your other question regarding speaking to inmates in Florida and why is it a lot of them in Florida and as opposed to other states, um, it's purely at this stage, the, the first, those first few stories are purely because Doreese was the one that found, was the person that found those stories for me. And these are women who were incarcerated with her. And I already had that system sort of sewn up and I knew how to deal with that system. So it was just so easy just to, for them to, Doreese to hand them my number, them to call me and we, we just spoke. So, so that's how I got to speaking with them. But then I also started up a TikTok before I launched One Minute Remaining. And I just literally, I'm, I'm not a TikTok person. I always said, I don't need another social media channel. I'm, I can't be bothered with it. But a friend of mine said, hey, you should, you, you've made a couple of videos of you talking to these people. You should put, put them up on TikTok and see what happens. So I literally was going out for a beer with a mate one day and on my way out the door, I loaded three videos up, thought nothing of it and went off and went out. And then while I'm at the, the pub with my mate, he goes off to the bathroom and I thought, oh, I'll just have a look at the TikTok. And two of the videos had already hit or surpassed 400,000 views in that short period of time. And I went, oh my gosh. And the comments, there was just hundreds of comments and uh, craziness. And then all of a sudden I started getting contacted on TikTok by people who have um, relatives and friends incarcerated in the United States saying, hey, would you talk to my brother? Would you talk to my, um, my dad? So for instance, David Talley, 
Um, the story of David Talley, his son found me on TikTok and contacted me and asked me to talk to his dad. Uh, Anthony Duke's mother found me on TikTok, asked me to talk uh, to her son about his story. Um, so, so many of the relationships have, have built through TikTok as well, social media. Um, and then other than that, uh, I also just look through the internet to find interesting stories, people who are incarcerated who may claim they're innocent or, you know, that they've been wrongly dealt with or, you know, things like that. So any case I come across, like the Alaskan Avenger, um, I literally was just scrolling through the internet, saw that photo of him and his brother pop up and all the comments and, and what he was in for. And I just went, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to this man. So as for different states having different laws and different ways I can talk to people, there are certain states where I just, for some reason, I just can't talk to talk to them. Texas is a state where I can't seem to get hold of people or I can't talk to people because of the fact that I'm overseas. Now, I do have a story coming up with an inmate in Texas, but um, that's being facilitated for me um, through the Innocence Project in Texas. Now, there's a solicitor who um, works for the Innocence Project in Texas and she's kind of done the interview for me. I've asked the questions and she's asked um, her client on a uh, attorney-client call and recorded his answers. Now, I'm not sure how that one's going to turn out because I do like to have that personal relationship um, with the men and women I talk to. I like to build that rapport and so that I can, you know, get a bit more in-depth. So we'll see how that one pans out. It might be a, a one-off um, situation, but that's that's coming up very soon. Uh, what else did you ask? Oh, proceeds of crime. Of course, Anthony Duke got the cookbook out, a lot of people buying that. So thank you. I spoke to Anthony just yesterday um, and... Um, <laughs> it's funny. He's such a, he's just, I don't know, he doesn't show a great deal of emotion. Uh, but I said, uh, I said, people are enjoying the book. It seems a lot of people are, are buying it. Yeah, and he just went, seems that way. <laughs> just like, okay. Um, but uh, I did ask him about receiving money f- uh, for the book. Now, remember that the calls that we are on are recorded conversations and the institutions are listening in on the calls. So I don't want to ever get the people I'm talking to in trouble by talking about these things. So I don't know how much they can share. So I wasn't sure about the proceeds of crime situation because I obviously know that in this country um, criminals aren't allowed to um, you know, uh, make money from, from their criminal activity or you know, writing books about their crimes or whatever. Um, so I wasn't sure how it worked. But anyway, I asked Tony about him receiving the money for it and this is what he had to say. Few people have bought the books. Here's they have, huh? Yeah, they're getting a few sales. People are sending me photos of themselves with the book, which is pretty good. Yeah, they like it. So far, so good. I mean, I'm a little bit concerned because a lot of people have said they're going to try and make a stinger. They'd be all right. They got circuit breakers. They can reset. <laughs> yeah. Someone asked me about that because obviously I put the PDF, like the computer version, on uh, on a website for people to get hold of if they want to sponsor the show. But then obviously. I'm sort of encouraging them all to buy a hard copy through Amazon. I don't know if you, are you, I don't know if you want to allowed to talk about that or not. But I, they they just want to make sure that you you'll get the funds essentially. As far as I know, I think it's like once a month I receive a payment. Okay, cool. So you so you you will get the money for it. That's all. That's they were people are just asking if you get the money for it or not. Yeah, I got it set up for to go into an account. Yeah, great. So it seems that Tony is is certainly getting um, the proceeds of the books that you guys are buying. So thank you for supporting him. He is very, very grateful. Uh, And so is his mother as well, Jamie Duke. So um, I think we answered all your questions. 
I think. I hope we did. Anyway. All right. Well, thank you very much for your call. Let's, uh, let's have a listen to the next. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Hi, Jack. Uh, love the podcast, mate. You've done a fantastic job. Thank you, Legend. Um, and really excited to see uh, what's next. Currently uh, ringing in regards to the Tony Duke case. Um, and very interested to get your thoughts on Anthony's dad being locked in a barn with someone. Mm. Um, I might have missed something along the way, but who was that person? Was this at or around the time of, of, of the murder? Or why were they locked in the barn? Um, that appears an elaborate um, act and story. So I just, I'm keen to get your thoughts on it. Um, thank you very much. I, I love how, I, I really love how much people get into this show. That's, it's one of the, the true um, joys of me watching this show go out. It's just seeing how many of you just truly get so engrossed in the story, especially on our close Facebook group, everyone getting involved. Um, so it's, it's honestly, I, I absolutely love it. And okay. So let's talk, um, Anthony Duke, Tony Duke. Of course, that's one of the most recent stories that we've just wrapped up. Um, got a lot of people interested in this one. Uh, a lot of people got some strong thoughts and opinions on this particular case. Now we did cover, the situation with the barn and who was in the barn. So don't worry about missing that. I know these, you know, there's so much to take in and so much information that, you know, you can miss things. Um, so, so the barn situation, of course, I can't confirm the barn claims. They, now, Tony's mum has told me about the barn situation and so has Tony. If you missed it, here we are. I know the man that was locked in the barn with him all them hours that morning. I'm confident he knows more than he let Tonton to know. Tony told me that his dad and another bloke were in locked in a barn or something for some time. The very next day after the murder, uh, Bob Gladstone, who, by the way, was living down the street from Ron, uh, the guy who got murdered, 
Uh, yeah, Jimmy and Bob Gladstone were locked in the barn for over an hour and a half and nobody could get in the morning after the murder. So the person in the barn, apparently, in the barn with Tony's father, locked in the barn with Tony's father, was Bob Gladstone. Now, Bob Gladstone is the man who discovered Ron Hauser. He's a man that found him. Well, obviously, he, he went there, saw the broken glass and says he left, went and got Ron's brother, came back, and then they found him and they were the ones that moved the weed and, and all the rest of it. So, so Bob Gladstone is one of the gentlemen who ended up finding Ron dead. So Bob and Tony's father were reportedly locked in this barn for some reason. No one knows why. No one could get in there because they had locked it. So no one could access the barn. But apparently... Tony's father and Bob Gladstone, the man who found Ron Hauser dead, were locked in this barn, I believe, the morning after Ron was found. Because obviously your episodes have gone out now, so people are coming, are coming back to me with questions. And one question someone asked oh, yeah? me... Oh, yeah? One question someone asked me was about the barn, the barn situation with your old man and um, Bob, Mr. Bob Gladstone. Who went round the house and couldn't get him out of the barn? I think it was my dad's buddy, Matt, that actually had keys to the barn and they're always in there working on stuff and running side business, working on maintenance and trucks and rebuilding things. And my stepmom, Anna, said that not even Matt could get into the barn or Tim's the neighbor. And this was, and this was the morning after, yeah? I believe so, yeah. Obviously, I've tried to call Tony's father a number of times to see if he'll talk to me. Um, but he won't return my calls, basically. So I can't confirm whether that's true or not. I can't ask, obviously, there any questions about that. But it, it does. It's an odd one. It's an odd one. So that's all I can say on that one. And uh, thank you for your question. Hello, this is a prepaid call from. Hi, Jack. Uh, this is Christina. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring recording. Calling to ask, I'm curious to see how the inmates feel you portrayed their story, as I know in the past some of them have been unhappy with how the media portrayed their story. Thank you for your question, Christina. So it's a bit hard to hear, but Christina is basically asking, have any of the inmates heard um, how you've portrayed their stories and how do they feel about it? Because, of course, we know a number of them um, have been very anti-media in the past and um, not appreciated the way in which their stories have been told by um, certain shows and documentaries, etc. I can tell you that, uh, no, none of the inmates have heard my podcast because they can't hear my podcast. They can hear podcasts in jail. Um, I am trying to get one minute remaining on the list of approved podcasts uh, for inmates in the United States. I don't like my chances, if I'm honest, but, you know. We will give it a go. But uh, so, yes, yeah, so they can get some podcasts, but they cannot get my podcast. So they haven't personally heard my show. Friends and families of theirs have heard my show. Of course, um, Jamie Duke, Tony's mother, she has heard my show. Um, she is extremely happy with it. Um, in fact, she told me that in the last episode she um, got upset and and, start, and cried through the last episode. She said that um, she's extremely pleased with the way Tony's stories have been been told and she's thanked me very much for, for us telling the story and spreading the message. Um, as for the other inmates, of course, David Talley, um, his son and his daughter have both heard 
the show um, and love it. Um, as for Derice, Kimberly Boone, Amelia Carr, um, Derice has got friends on the outside who've heard my show and they passed on um, their comments about the show and they, you know, she's happy. So they obviously said some nice things about the show. Um, I have had situations, however, where some inmates have got friends on the outside who have misconstrued some of the things that I've said or done. Um, I have woken up many a morning to um, an irate person from inside the facility um, suggesting that I have done wrong um, and I've had to put out a few fires um, because, yes, people people can obviously misconstrue the way you may say things, um, your tone or, you know, in some cases videos that I've put out, facial expressions that I've made um, have got back to some of the inmates um, because people have not liked the way I've um, made a facial expression. So it, it, it's a very tricky area in which to tread and I try and tread carefully. In fact, I've, I've actually stopped putting videos out um, because of this fact, because of so many occasions where I would get a message, an angry message from a, a person from inside a facility saying that um, somebody didn't like the way I looked when I, when I was talking about something. So, and you have to understand these men and women, as I said, they've, they've had bad experiences in the past and they're trusting me with their stories. Um, so if someone on the outside says that I'm doing the wrong thing, then of course they can only go by what they're being told. Um, Luckily, every time I've been able to explain the situation and we've sorted it out. Um, but it got to the point where it was just, it was causing me too many headaches and too, too, too much stress really to worry about that side of things. So I now just obviously focus purely on the show and doing that to the best of my ability. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I always create the show thinking that these men and women will hear this show. So... You know, I, I, my aim is never to be underhanded or, or say anything that, I, you know, I think would offend them because at the end of the day, I've asked them to tell me their story. They haven't come to me saying, tell my story, tell my story, tell my story. I'm innocent, help me, help me. It, it's me going to them saying, hey, let me tell your story. So it would be pretty, pretty awful of me to go to them and say, hey, let me tell your story and then do something underhanded or, you know, in, in the final edit going, oh, you know what, they'll never hear this. I'm just going to say what I think and blah, blah, blah. So so that's why And I get a number of people say, oh, you know, they're obviously lying here or, you know, they're, they're not telling you the truth. Can't you hear that? And it's not that I can't, but I like to remain open-minded. And again, I also am thinking this through the filter of these people. I've asked them to tell me their story. They haven't come to me. So for me to go on the attack, like so much of the media does with these people and just says, you're lying, you, you did it, tell me you did it. I think that's wrong, personally. So that's the way I've chosen to do this. Um, so that's how we're doing it. But anyway, no, so long story short, they haven't heard it, but I believe most of them are happy with what they're being told. See you the next one. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Hi, my name's Marina Hurley. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring reporting. I have a few comments, questions about the Kimberly Boone case. So it seemed, I don't know if I missed it, but it wasn't until the interview with the attorney where he seems to think that um, she is culpable be, because of the search, uh, the, the searching on, on her computer and what the search results show. 
And I was wondering, I don't seem to remember that being mentioned during the episodes. I might have missed it. But I also had just an outside thought that if the husband was involved in this in some way, like, you know, leaving leaving the house where the neighbour could see him needing help when the house was on fire, but if the husband was involved somehow, perhaps he could have done the search to make it look like she had done this. So perhaps, just as an idea, perhaps this whole thing was set up in order to incarcerate his wife so he could get the proceeds of the house, etc. I don't know, it's just a thought. Thanks very much for the show. It's great. Thank you, Marina. And thank you very much indeed for your question and for listening to the show. I very much do appreciate it. I know I say thank you to everyone a lot, but I really truly mean it. Um, every single person that listens to this show, I love you all. Um, not in a weird way. It could be a weird way. Uh, Marina, thank you. Uh, now, first of all, we must state categorically that no wrongdoing was ever found against anybody else in the Kimberley Boone case. Kimberley Boone was the only one arrested, tried, convicted for the crime. Um, but, of course, we look into all avenues when we're talking about these cases and, of course, the, the husband was involved when it came to the fire and because um, he was in the home and he, and he got out and all the rest of it. So we've heard the full story. It's a fascinating story. Uh, now, you, yes, you, you did miss it, Marina, but that's okay. No problems at all. There's, a, there's Again, there's a lot of information that runs in these episodes and I understand we can miss things. But, yes, Marina, I did talk to Kimberly Boone about the searches. Um, here's what she had to say about that. In late afternoon testimony, a computer expert said Kimberly Boone had searched for how house fires start and how much Xanax is too much. He also states that these searches were done from a login with the name Kim. So again, I asked Kim about it. When the state presented him as a witness, they tried to say that the computer was named Kim and that it was password protected and I was the only one that was able to use that. Um, what When he was testifying, you know, it just didn't, it wasn't true. So I told my attorney, you know, a certain line of questioning to go and... Um, he asked him, he said, so there's a password assigned to this computer? And he said, yes, there is. And he said, is it activated? And he said, well, no, it's not. So, you know, and he said, well, can you explain what that means? And he says, well, anyone in the household could have used the computer at any time. Just because the computer is named Kim, it's going to come up, you know, as searches done, you know, by Kim. Because I was the only, you know, that's the only name that the computer had associated with it. Anybody could have logged on that even though a password was assigned to it, it was inactivated. You didn't need to enter that information to get on there. So what they were trying to say was that, I was the only one that could possibly have done these searches. Yeah, and, and again, Marina, you mentioned in your um, question there or your comments that potentially the husband could have done those searches. Now, again, covering my ass, no, no wrongdoing was ever found against her husband. But all I can tell you is the computer I'm using right now is my wife's computer. I have full access to her computer. I know her password and I can get in. And for whatever reason, if <laughs> if she was arrested for something and they looked at her search history on this computer, the things I've had to search since doing this show, she would quite possibly find herself in a bit of trouble. Uh, or at least questions would be asked as to why on earth she was searching all this stuff. Um, so look, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Again, no wrongdoing was ever found against Mr. Boone. So obviously police detectives didn't think that at all. 
they only thought Kimberly did those searches and, and that was what happened. So, but it's a good thought. Uh, we did ask him about it, as I said, um, and that was her response. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your question, Marina. Let's get another one. Hello, this is a prepaid call from... Oh, hi, it's Lara here. Hello, I'm Lara. calling from Far North Queensland. Far North Queensland. I'm from Cairns. I just wanted to leave a message to say how much I'm enjoying your podcast. Um, I love the way you interact with your subjects and I'm really enjoying the style that you have, which is really impartial and non-judgmental. And it's really authentic too, the way you interact with them and um, it's really refreshing. And thanks for shining a light on these people's stories too. I think it's really important that they're heard and I'm looking forward to more episodes to come. Thanks a lot. Well, that feels like a highly self-indulgent um, voicemail to play, but I very much appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I will send you your $100 next week for all those lovely words. Uh, in all seriousness, though, um, thank you. Um, yeah, I, look, again, with this show, because it, it, my intention, as I've said at the start, was never to try and prove anyone's innocence or guilt. It was purely just to get these men and women's stories and let them tell their stories. Now, I know in a number of cases, a few people have mentioned, oh, you, you know, what about this? They, they, they've, they've skimmed over this and, or we haven't heard about this or why haven't you pushed them on this? And if there's ever, I, trust me, if you find something, I, I, I probably have found it. I'm not saying I've found everything. I have missed things in the past. But if you found something and you, you haven't heard it in the show, it's not that I haven't asked them. A number of times I will ask certain questions and sometimes the response that I get is just not really a response, if that makes sense, or it's, you know, it, it doesn't quite make sense to the point where if I was to put it out, people would listening would go, what on earth is that? So I ask questions and I will continue to ask questions and the same question a few times to try and get an answer that I'm looking for. If for some reason I don't get an answer on that question, I will not continue to push the fact. I will move on because at some point you have to move on. And again, these people haven't uh, these people haven't come to me saying, "Please tell my story. I'm innocent." Um, I've gone to them and said, "Hey, I want to tell your story. I want you to tell your story, and I want to facilitate that." You know, all these documentaries in the past, all these. You know, I've watched interview, interviews of, of of American journalists talking to some of the women and men that I've spoken to. Very accusatory, very aggressive, very attacking, um, and. I obviously don't want to take that tact because this show wouldn't last very long because word gets around the prison system pretty quickly and my name would become one that no one would want to associate with. Um, and again, you know, my whole point was not to try and prove anyone innocent or guilty. I just want to look at the, try and look at the facts and, and try and deliver their story as best I can. So, you know, I, I, I try and build a rapport with the, the men and women I speak to and I think I, I do all right with that. And I don't want to break that trust or ruin that by being attacking or aggressive or not, not aggressive, but, you know, just, just pushing a fact. If they, if, they, if they don't, if the answer doesn't seem to be coming, I'm not just going to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until eventually they get the shits and, and, and walk off or hang up. So, so yeah, so Thank you. Yes, that's my aim was always to have a relationship with these men and women to the point where we have that trust, where they know that I'm, you know, I'm not here to accuse, I'm not here to judge, um, you know, innocence or guilt, whatever, you know, 
they're in prison at the end of the day. So if they are guilty, if they are guilty, then they're already in prison. So they're already paying a price for whatever crime. So, you know, even if I'm talking to someone who's saying they're innocent and, you know, make it, look, I'm not stupid. I, I don't think that every single person I talk to through this entire project is going to be innocent. Of course not. But I'm going into these conversations with an open mind, thinking of people such as Adnan Saeed, the man who everyone thought killed his girlfriend until he turned up on a podcast, told his story, investigations were done, and eventually he was freed. So in my mind, you know, you have to go into these conversations with an open mind. So um, it's kind of a roundabout weird way of saying thank you for your comments. You have one minute remaining it's been a thank you so much indeed for everybody's questions comments thoughts in today's episode as well as on the facebook i couldn't get to all of them so i apologize because this episode would go way too long so if you've asked a question you didn't hear it in today's episode uh we will get to it i promise uh i wanted to make this a regular thing so if you've got questions about any of the cases of course i'll take the questions to the men and women that i speak to um if you've missed something or you need clarification on something this is what these episodes will be for so i hope you enjoy this episode let me know if you if you want more of these episodes i'm hoping to do more of them uh like i said the voicemail is in the show notes below so give it a call leave your message uh, and we'll have more of these very soon small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rustoleum.